why we are transitioning. If you want to turn to Ephesians 6 once again. Ephesians 6 once again. It's towards the back of your Bibles. Galatians, Ephesians. That song we just sang, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, that's what it's all about. It's all about the love of God towards us as undeserving sinners, that he would send Jesus to die on a cross to provide redemption. We don't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Nobody can earn it. But God freely gave it, and we lay hold of it by faith. And today we're going to continue talking about the armor of God. And the armor of God really is no use for somebody who hasn't surrendered their life to Jesus. You got to deal with the God of the armor before you can take up the armor of God. Amen. Amen. So we're going to keep that in mind also as the sermon unfolds. But let's come before the Lord and ask him to do what only he can do in our time. Father God, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the gospel of God. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided the Christian with great help in the midst of the battle in which we are in. And Lord, we've spent several weeks talking about it. And Father, we just, we need to keep very close to our hearts as we walk in a day such as ours that we are in the midst of a fierce battle of life and death, of good and evil, of between God and the devil, and for the souls of men and women who labor in darkness. And until they see the light, Lord, they will not be set free from the power and grip of sin and the evil one's devices. So, Father, we just pray right now, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that you would come upon this service, that you would come upon this time, that it wouldn't just be uh, an ordinary thing where we are getting more information, but the life-giving, transforming word of God would come in the power of the Holy Spirit to minister to us where we're at. God, help us. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to get out of the way that your word would shine forth once again from Ephesians 6. And open our hearts to receive it now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've had several weeks where we've had a chance to step into the spiritual war we're immersed in. And we've talked about how easy it is to really snooze sort of peacefully going through life without being aware of what's really going on. And C.S. Lewis reminded us famously that you can make two errors when it comes to dealing with Satan and spiritual warfare. Number one, you can believe he doesn't exist and fall totally asleep to the spiritual realities going on in our world. And number two, you can have an unhealthy interest in the devil and an unhealthy uh, sort of overestimation of him where you begin to blame all of your sin and you shirk the accountability for what you do and you blame it on the devil 
right? The devil tempts us, but we sin of our own accord. So we've got to keep those things in view. When the, the battle is fierce and when we're living in a spiritual uh, war, we need to remember that the devil is not God's equal, nor is the devil uh, omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He can only be in one place at one time. That's why he has an army to do his bidding so he can tempt you, so he can hit your home front, so he can hit you in life where you're at. And perhaps even today, you're experiencing the effects of living in a world where the devil holds sway. But we, we need to remember and we need to be mindful that God is more powerful, that the God of the armor supplies the armor of God to the Christian to remind him and her that he's supplied everything we need to defeat this foe because he's given it to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want us to step into Ephesians again and remember exactly the battle that we're in. We're going to start in verse 13 today and read to 17, and we're just going to deal with one piece of the armor. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what is Paul doing at the outset here but reminding us that the task before us, the task of the Christian, the call of the Christian in the midst of a spiritual war is to stand against the forces of darkness. And we're told in verse 13 with that little word, therefore... So Paul is building on what previously came before that, saying, be strong in the Lord in verse 10, and in the strength of his might, and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then in verse 12, he tells us the nature of the devil and his power and the armies that he has working to deceive and to distract and to, to divide the people of God. There's ways in which the enemy is already afoot in your life. Person-specific strategies to deal with you and to lead you away from the living God. So what, what is God telling us here in this text? But he's reminding us through the Apostle Paul that we must take up the whole armor of God. And so Paul is probably envisioning, having lived in the Roman world for quite some time, he's seen many soldiers. He's writing this letter from a prison. So no doubt he's seen Roman soldiers full in Roman attire, having the full armor on them. And so this imagery is very evident to him and is a part of his daily culture. But it also has its roots 
in the Old Testament. So if you'll look, we'll put it on the screen, Isaiah 59, 17. We're told there that this whole idea of the armor of God is rooted in the Old Testament. It says, and, and this is speaking of the Messiah being the one who wears the armor. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So we're seeing there that the Lord is envisioned as a mighty warrior and he himself goes into the battle. Like you have a God who does battle. The battle belongs to the Lord, right? That's why we sung that. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. And so he himself, Jesus himself, has worn this armor. What does Isaiah 11:5 say but the same thing? Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. So you can see right off the bat, right, this whole imagery is rooted in the Old Testament, and Paul is drawing upon it and upon the contemporary experience of seeing soldiers about him. Now, one of the things I learned in the Marine Corps uh, right off the get-up, is that they, they really care about uniforms. And they really care about equipping you with what you need for any given task. And so th the first thing you learn in boot camp is kind of like how to dress yourself for the day. And that means if, you, if you're going to be in camis, that means you're going to get into it, right? If you're going to be in a dress uniform, you're probably going to be marching on, on the blacktop and, and, and marching in unison, and, and there's a whole different feel to it. And, and, but if you're going to battle, if you're going to train for warfare, you're going to be donning your boots. You're going to be putting on the proper belt. You're going to be putting on your Kevlar. You're going to be putting on your helmet. You're going to need all of that to go into battle. And if you miss something, oh, the drill instructors are all over you. It's, it's not. It's, it's, it's going to be bad news for you. You're going to get wore out on the quarterdeck. Because we need to be aware that we must stand in something unique when the attack and the heat of battle is upon us. If we do not stand in the proper attire, then we're just helpless. And so you'll notice verse 13 right off the bat reminds us we're to... Do what? Take up the whole armor of God. The complete armor. The whole armor. Every piece. Every bit of the armor. Not just one piece. Not the piece you happen to prefer. But all the pieces of the armor are needed to be donned in order for the Christian to effectively stand against the forces of darkness. And the devil knows how to exploit weakness. I was thinking about this. Uh, if you've watched the movie The Hobbit or if you've read the, the novel, the great enemy in that book, or at least one of them, is a great dragon, a wicked, evil, nasty dragon named Smaug. And he is all-powerful. You know, you can't, you can't defeat him. He, he had scales that were able to repel javelins and, 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 and arrows and all sorts of things. You couldn't penetrate the scales. They were like armor. 
And so nobody could kill this dragon, and he would just fly through different villages and just completely destroy it and incinerate it with fire. And the men of the world of the Hobbit, right? Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote this book. And the men are afraid of the dragon. The hobbits are afraid of the dragon. The dwarves are afraid of the dragon. Everybody lives in fear of the also powerful Smaug. And then one day, in the heat of a skirmish, a little scale gets loose from Smaug. And so it's right above his heart. And a soldier notices it. And the battle goes on, and a memory, many, many months later, of that weakness in the mind of this man comes back to him in a moment of need. The, the, the whole city's being desecrated, the whole city's being incinerated, and it's up to one man who wakes up to the reality that there is a weakness in this dragon. There is something that is a vulnerability. And so he takes aim and he gets his, his harpoon and he launches the harpoon in just the right place. And it hits the dragon in the heart and that's the end of Smaug. And it's like, all, he's, he was just all so powerful, especially in the book. It's just like, all of a sudden, he's gone. And he's a memory of history because he was vulnerable in one particular place where he had no protection. And the devil works just like that. He knows you. He knows where you're vulnerable. He knows your most weakest spot. And he will hit you there. And so that's why we're told by the Apostle Paul, you must take up the whole armor of God. And he says it again in verse 11, just in case you didn't, you know, see it in verse 13, it's in verse 11 too. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we walk into this battle knowing that we have to get equipped, knowing that we have to get the armor on us. And there's six pieces of armor, right? You've got the belt of truth. You've got the, the breastplate of righteousness. To guard what? The vital organs. You've got the shoes of the gospel. A soldier's footing was a big deal, right? If you ran around barefoot as a soldier, you're going to be in trouble. The terrain will rip up your feet. In fact, when I was in boot camp, one of the interesting things about it is if you didn't take care of your feet, you were going to go to the hospital. You'd get... Uh, all sorts of issues like cellulitis and different things that would happen. You could get infection in your feet because you didn't take care of it. And so you needed the proper attire. You needed to make sure that you were caring for your feet. Well, we've got the, the shoes of the gospel. We've got to be ready with that. And then we're told that we need the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, the darts of doubt, the darts of discouragement, the darts of division, right? There's all sorts of things that the devil does to discourage us. And then we're told we need the helmet of salvation. And finally, that offensive sword of the spirit. 
Now we're going to spend some time talking about all of these, but I want you to notice that we begin with the belt of truth. It's the most foundational thing, right? We begin with truth. And when you're dealing with a soldier, when you have the first thing you need to get sorted out is the belt. If you don't have the belt on your uniform properly fastened, and in those days it wasn't like the belt I'm wearing now that this thin strip of leather, but it was a six-inch belt. It had an apron that went down to your thighs, and it was connected, interconnected to everything. Your breastplate connected to it, your sheath for the sword connected to the belt. The belt was what you tucked in all your garments, which was called a tunic. So you, you imagine them tucking their, their garments in when it was time to fight. And then, like we all do when we're relaxing, right, we pull our shirt out and, and it's not fighting time um, when, when we don't have our shirts tucked in or, or, or you know, we're, we're leisurely. But the soldier with this belt tucked everything into it so as not to trip himself up. And we see right here in verse 14 that the first thing we're told to do as soldiers in the army of the Lord is what? Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Notice that. It's the belt of truth. And as you carefully study the armor of God, you begin to learn something about the devil's devices, right? You begin to, as you study the armor, you start realizing how the devil works. Because what are you going to do in order to deal with an enemy? You got to fortify yourself in, against the attacks that you know he's going to bring, right? So we know that the devil deals in lies, and so right off the bat, we're told to take up the truth of God, fasten it about us, and, and the belt held together everything and was like the core of our armor and weaponry to fight the battle. So the word of God, the truth of God as it's found in Jesus Christ, the gospel of God is the very thing that centers the Christian. And many of us through neglect of the word of God, we run around with our tunics untucked spiritually. We run around with our shoelaces undone. We run around with a, a center that's wobbly. We run around with a, a dividedness about us, a distraction. We're so torn in all sorts of different directions. And Paul, the apostle, is saying to the Christian church at Ephesus... What you need to do before you do anything else is get the truth about your waist. Get the truth about your life. Ground yourself in the word of God. Study the scriptures and lay hold of the very thing that will center you in the midst of the battle. That's what he's telling us in the midst of the reality of war. And he's telling us not so when we're halfway through the war and we're all beat up, that we're like, oh yeah, I better go. <laughs> I better figure that belt thing out, right? Imagine a soldier like, can you stop the, the machine guns right now? I, I need to tuck my belt in and get my tunic sorted out. That's not gonna happen, right? So we need to be mindful that this metaphor that Paul's using is very meaningful. It's very to the point. And Paul is trying to get in our hearts He's like, you need all sorts of 
You need all sorts of imagery to understand what you're dealing with and understand that the very truth of God, the very truth that's been breathed out by the Holy Spirit, this book that's like no other book, it's alive. It's the Word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. And when we're talking about it as a belt, we're talking about the defensive side of the Word of God. Did you ever think that the Word of God is both defensive and offensive? Right? We attack with it. We preach the gospel. You're penetrating the darkness. You're overcoming the lies of Satan. There's a sword thrust going on when the gospel is preached. But it's also defensive. Because you're being told all sorts of lies by the father of lies about reality. In our world, on Facebook, over media, even Disney, right, has all kinds of agendas to infiltrate your mind with lies about who you are, about what life is all about, about what will bring true happiness to you, about what will secure you, about what will give you a sense of, of quote-unquote, self-esteem, right? Like, the Bible reminds us the only way to center your life is to have this book hidden in your heart is to have this book informing your conscience, is to have this book informing the way you direct your life and order your life. And so often, we get into all kinds of trouble because we neglect the very basic, fundamental reality. We run outside without our belt. And what happens? We end up being exposed. So... Paul says to stand, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And he reminds us that this is the method Jesus used, right? We see that in the scriptures. If you look at uh, Matthew 4 and verse 3 and 4, it says that the tempter came to deep to, to uh, Jesus. You remember the devil comes in the wilderness to Jesus and he says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to come, become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That is just an interesting statement. When, when the devil is tempting Jesus to use his divine prerogatives to feed himself and change stones to bread, which he surely could have done. But Jesus, submitting to the goodwill of the Father, does not distort living as a true son of God and as a true human being in our place. He does not resort to using his divine powers, but he resorts to what? The scriptures. It is is written. And how many of us forget so quickly when the lies start to accumulate in your mind about who you are, about your identity, about why you're suffering. So often the, the devil's just lying. Oh, that suffering just, that means nothing. You're going through that for nothing. Instead of what the Apostle Paul tells us, 
that the things that you're experiencing, the suffering you're experiencing, beloved, is to prepare you for an eternal weight of glory. You're getting ready for heaven. You're getting ready for what God is going to do for eternity. Your suffering's not meaningless. Or you start trying to find your identity in how well you're doing your job or how successful you are in your career or how many trophies you have or how many likes you have or how many people like you at school or how much you've done as you look back at, at your life and you wonder, did, it, did any of it matter? Well, if you're not anchored in the truth of God, if you're not taking the word of God to forge an identity, to realize I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I live my, my life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live a, a life grounded on the truth, girded, fastened, fortified, anchored by the word of God. Sometimes it can be so obvious and yet so elusive in the Christian life. Because it does take work, right? There's a sense in which this is God's supplied armor, but we're told to put it on. God's sovereignty and human responsibility meeting in the battle. Sometimes we can have that mentality that I'm just, I'm just going to let go and, and, and just let go. And I'm, I'm not going to read my Bible, but I'll let go. Well, let go and let God that doesn't anchor in the truths of the Bible is not really taking up the armor of God at all. It's not really putting on anything. It's not really doing what the Apostle Paul said when he said, study, brothers and sisters, to show yourself approved unto God. To be a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. Or 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture has been breathed out by God. It's been given to you. And it's profitable. And it thoroughly equips the man of God or the woman of God or the teenager of God. For every good work. That's actually what it says. Every good work that you will endeavor to do as a Christian must be rooted in the scriptures. And so there's something deep down primal in every Christian that knows I need to feast on this book. And yet, in our day and age, there is a famine of the word of God. That's why everything that we do here at Smithfield ought to be saturated in the Word of God. It ought to be saturated in the Scriptures, right? We got a Bible study on Monday called Women of the Word, right? Come on, ladies. Women of the Because it's you got to be saturated in this book, right? The brotherhood needs to be a brotherhood that's about what? Word. The Word. Come on, man. The brotherhood is about what? The word. the word of God, right? So we need to get this book in our hearts. Right? This forges real fellowship. This forges real Christian unity. This forges 
a Christian to stand in an evil day when you have all sorts of messaging from all over the place, from a political level to an entertainment level to a school system level, telling you the opposite of the word of God, and you've got to get equipped. You're not going to just learn this by osmosis. You've got to dig in, take and eat, and feast. What did King David once remind us so long ago? He went out to battle. Saul gave him his armor, right? And what happened with that armor? He puts it on. And he's just dwarfed in that thing, right? He doesn't have armor that fits him. He doesn't have armor that's got a belt of truth fastening it on. So he can't use the armor. But he must go to battle. And ultimately, David knew so long ago that the armor of God comes from a foundational commitment to the word of God. And we're reminded all over the place in scripture that that's the very reality. That's why he penned Psalm 119. You do well to memorize Psalm 119. It's a meditation. It's a song about the belt of truth. It's a song about getting your belt on, getting that, the, the, the girding of the truth of God upon you. Psalm 119.9, listen to what David has to say. He knew a thing about temptation and dealing with Satan. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I what? That I might not sin against you. Beloved, it, it is basic. But it's a beautiful basic. It's a beautiful reality that as you feed your soul on this book, as you get it in your heart, as you memorize scripture, as you meditate on scripture, as it's not a footnote in your life, right? How many of you have, have read, read a, you know, a big research book or one of those books that has thorough documentation? There's like thousands of footnotes, right? And they're all crammed in the end. Nobody's going to read it, right? They're not going to go trace down the footnote. Well, sometimes we make the word of God a footnote when it needs to be the main course. Sometimes we're reaching for all sorts of other books. And there's a place for, for Christian literature as long as it's getting you into this book, right? There's a place for somebody else seeing something in the Word of God and pointing it out to you. Amen. And I love reading. But ultimately, this book needs to rise above all the rest. Because there's no other book that's God-breathed. There's no other book that's without error. There's no other book that has the foundational realities about it, the qualities about it, the truths about it that you can rest on. They're bedrock, solid rock that we stand on. Right? How firm a foundation these saints of the Lord? Right? Well, your foundation is right here. And what is Jesus? Who is Jesus but the incarnate word and truth of God, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word of God come in the flesh to rescue sinners. So the truth and the belt of truth always points us back to King Jesus. So as a pastor, I get really encouraged 
when I see people getting fired up about God's word. And I, I, I was thinking about this uh, because this is the heart of the Apostle John, too. He loved to see people flourishing in God's word. In the second letter he wrote, um, which is only one chapter, and you should go read it today. When, when, when we're done here, take some time to go read it. But he says this in, in verse 4. To the church, he says, I rejoiced. This is a pastor's heart. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. I rejoiced to see some of your children walking in the truth. Beloved, that is just such sweet music to my ears. That's a, that, that's a shepherd right there. The Apostle John just loved people, and he knew the key to helping people was to get their hearts in this book. And not only that this book would be read, but that it would be ingrained in the heart, that it would govern the life, that it would so move you that it would be said of you that you're walking in this book. You're walking in the pages of the book. You're walking in the truth of the book. You're not just a hearer of the word. You're a doer of the word, James says. You're, you're walking in the truths and precepts and revelation of God. Behold, you're taking up the belts of truth. You're fastening it on. You're getting ready for battle. You're reminded that the devil's spouting all sorts of lies and we must be anchored in the great truth. And I love to see people walking in the truth. I want you to think about this. This, this question for all of us to think about. This is one of the most fundamental questions Try to write it down shorthand if you can. But ask yourself, do I accept the Bible as the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God? Do I accept the Bible as the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God? And a second question. Do I submit to the Bible as the ultimate authority of my life? What's governing you? Do you submit to the scriptures? When there is a, a, a need for clarity about how to live as a Christian, are you submitting to the scripture or to the whims and shifting sands of our cultural attitudes and mores? Are we grounded in the book and having it hidden in our heart? And are we kneeling before it ultimately because we know it comes from God? The authority is from the Lord. That's what Paul is getting at when he says, fasten it on. Fasten it on. It means you're ready to submit to God. It means that's why Christians can't or that's why non-Christians can't do it. If you're not a believer, if you don't know Jesus and you're here today, you won't submit to the book. The Bible says you're hostile to it. You're, 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 you love your sin, the Bible says. Jesus said that we, when we sin, we're slaves of sin and we need to be set free by the word of God. 
And if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And John 8 reminds us how we get set free is we get set free by the truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. That's not my opinion. That's not Pastor Peter just saying, hey, like, I'm just going to make something up today. No, like, I got to be governed by the book. And the book says we're in darkness until the light of Christ shines on us and we lay hold of him in faith. Now, we're going to have a time of communion. And that's another reality of the word being put in a picture for us. We take the, the bread and we take the grape juice, right? The, the body and the blood of Jesus. It's a picture of what Jesus did at the cross to redeem a people to himself. We need pictures in the Christian life. That's why Paul's so concerned to get this imagery into your hearts. Because there's a great battle going on. There's a great warfare and we need the help of the absolute unshakable foundational solid rock of God's word and if we don't submit to it uh, there's it won't be long before a, sh a shipwreck comes into your life a shipwreck of faith I remember going to uh, seminary in California and I went to Talbot School of Theology and got an MA in theology there and I remember you know we lived in an apartment complex and there was all these seminarians there and you know sometimes you can go to seminary um, and you can study all these great things and you're studying all the you know different periods of church history and there's a period in church history during the enlightenment where all sorts of people were going by the name of Christian and they were rejecting this book. They were saying that this book was just basically mythology. This book was basically fab Aesop's fables. Hey, it might be good for morals, but it's not truth. And there was all sorts of German scholars who began to criticize the Bible. And I remember uh, somebody that was going to school with me begin to doubt the word of God, begin to doubt the truthfulness, begin to start to shirk the submission to this book and start to cut corners and start to, to, to begin to devalue it, put it on a lower shelf. And all of a sudden, his life began to unravel. And his faith began to deteriorate. And I just watched his whole faith shipwreck because of the commitment to the truth of God's word began to dwindle and deteriorate in his life. Billy Graham had an encounter like that just before his great Los Angeles crusade. And a friend of his had done the same thing, read all the higher critics of German criticism, began to doubt God's word, began to abandon the faith, began to give all these questions to Billy. And Billy goes out into the mountain and he goes and he gets alone to God. And he says, I'm, I gotta, what I got to do is I got to seal the deal on what I believe about this book. I've got to seal the deal. Do I think this is the word of God that can change people's lives? Is this the truth of God? Is this history? Is this 
reality? Is this life-shaping, soul-satisfying, life-enhancing truth? Or is it just a good fable with a good moral? Is it just ethical? Or is it life-giving? Is it just a little bit of history, but some of it's not true? Or is the whole thing true? And Billy had to just confront this. He had to confront this reality, and he prayed with an open Bible, and he said, Lord, I'm going to submit to this book. I don't, have question, I don't have answers for all my questions, but I'm going to submit to this book, and I know it's from you, and I'm committing to this book. And it completely changed the course of Billy's life and ministry. Because that crusade had some unction on it. That crusade had power. That crusade that he preached in Los Angeles would launch his evangelistic ministry and people would be getting saved by the hundreds and thousands before it was all done. And he's preached to millions of people throughout all uh, the decades of, almost all the decades of the 20th century. Faithful evangelist, but it had to start by putting on the belt of truth. And you're being confronted today with that very reality. Will you stand on this book? Will your Bible studies be about this book? Will your life be directed and guided and shaped and molded and lifted up by this book? And will you run to it when go the going gets tough? Will you run to it when there's question marks all around your life? Some of you are going to get punched in the side of the head and your, your spiritual equilibrium is going to be like, whoa, I don't know what, what's going on. And if you don't know this book and if you can't lay hold of the truths of this book, if you can't understand who you are from this book and lay hold of promises like God works together all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, you can bank on that truth doesn't matter what's happening to you. You can bank on it because it's the word of God. And what did Jesus say in the gospel of John? But simply this, to put a fine point on it. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and... We just acknowledge that there's so much uh, good, encouraging realities for us in your word. And there's so many voices competing for our attention in the world. The media, the, 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 our iPhones in our pockets, Lord, they're just gripping us. We're spending hours on them. But the neglect of the scriptures can be so often so pervasive in our lives and we struggle sometimes even when we sit down with a bible open and we got all the time in the world we struggle our minds wander and i pray father that you would baptize us lord with the truth that you would help us as a church to set our foundation our firm foundation as a people on the book on the book that is so different than all other books the book that is alive, the book that has been breathed out by God, the book that, that, that makes people come from darkness to light, makes people come from death to life, that discloses the Savior to us in Jesus Christ. 
And so, Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts, Lord, as we sing this song. May we make some commitments around this book. Maybe for the first time we might ask you to come into our life. Maybe we need the truth of Jesus Christ in here today. Maybe we need to come face to face with our great need for the God of the armor before we start worrying about the armor of God. And if we're Christians, oh God, let our resolve to stand upon this great truth be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In Jesus' name, amen.